stand, give, write your checks. Man, you guys are amazing. I've got some really good news for you this morning. How many of you know, I feel like your message you're hearing doesn't sound like good news, it's probably not the good news. If you're hearing it's like, oh man, that sounds so heavy, that sounds horrible. I feel horrible about myself. Probably not the good news. So just, just in case you're wondering. Christianity is not God now blessing your best efforts. He's not giving you a do-over. Hey, man, you were really blowing it. Now I'm going to give you a do-over so you can try better and I'll bless your best efforts. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a whole new way of living. See, before you were a Christian, you were the center of your own universe. You were doing your best to at whatever you thought was important. And so that person died and now you are united with Christ, and he is now the center of your life, and you're now living from his strength and resources, not just on your own best efforts. <laughs> say it again. How about I say it 15 different ways, and then we'll close, okay? I don't even know what I just said here. <clears throat> you are learning a completely new way of living, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Another translation of a new creation could be new species, a new species that has never existed before. So there has never been a species where God and man united together and now are living out life. That's the new species. So if you think of tadpoles, you guys probably are already thinking about tadpoles because they're so amazing, right? So right now there's thousands of tadpoles all over the world, millions probably. I don't know. I've never counted. And so uh, thousands of tadpoles... There they are, these little squiggly things, and then as they go through these changes, they grow legs, and then they turn green, and they turn into a frog, right? And so a lot of people, I think they think of a Christian as we, we just kind of get better and better. You know, we were born this person, and now we've got some virtues and some values, and we get better and better. Um, it's not like the tadpole who, like, comes of age. That's not what it means to become a Christian. Become a Christian is like going from a tadpole into a canary, you went from a human being relying on your own strength, your best efforts, your best thoughts, the things that people told you, and whatever, however that mess came out. And God completely sets you into a whole new reality where the Trinity now lives inside of you. Gang, I'm telling you, I, if I was trying to invent a cult, I don't think I could come up with a crazier thing than the Trinity coming and living on the inside of you. But I just don't feel God. We'll get to all your feelings in just a second here. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he shed his blood. He died on the cross. He raised from the dead. He accomplished all this on our behalf. And then he comes into a room with locked doors. Remember that? He appears before the disciples. And the disciples, are, they're up there freaking out. And I'm sure Jesus walking through walls didn't help them any, right? Yeah. And so he appears before them, and he needed to take everything that he accomplished on their behalf and bring it into their experience. So he did something interesting. He went to them one-on-one, -on -one and he went, receive the Holy Spirit received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came into their spirit, which was dead to the things of God, and all of a sudden it awakened them. And everything that Jesus had accomplished on their behalf, they were now united into that victory. There's some type of mystical union. I mean, we, we can't really explain these things. I'm just going to do my best here. But the deadness of their spirit was united with the aliveness of Christ's spirit, and he carried them up into the throne room of heaven. And it says now the spiritual reality is they are seated next to Christ in the heavenly realm. Okay, this is some crazy talk here, okay? All right, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I already know I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Like, if you were, you'd be freaking out right now. 
Through Christ, we are actually members of his family. Here's one of the pictures. It says, we are partakers of the divine nature. So all of who God is, he's like, come and partake of that and live out of that. Remember, you're a whole new race of being that never existed before. You're not living in your best efforts, and God's like, hey, here's a little extra spiritual charge. Oh, thanks, Dad. Now I'll try harder. We're living from a completely different realm here as believers. The gospel does not call us to just believe certain facts that other people don't believe. Well, we're different from the Muslims because we believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah, yeah, we have a different set of beliefs, but it's more than that. This is a God who turns tadpoles into canaries. God has this crazy plan. He loves his son so much that he's going to fill the earth with lookalikes of his son. Remember the show MacGyver? Not the new one. That was stupid. I made it through about half an episode. I'm like, this is insulting. But the old MacGyver, the good one. <laughs> where he could take like a pine cone and a piece of bubble gum and build a time bomb. Remember that? He's like, it's amazing. So MacGyver had this amazing ability. He could take whatever was in his circumstances and use it for his own purposes, okay? God's a lot like MacGyver, or MacGyver's like God. Sean actually read it to us in Romans 8. It says, in all things, God's able to work together for our good to conform us to the image of his son. God is able to take whatever mess is going on in your circumstances, things that are against his will, things that are his will, and if you will look to him in strength, he will use those circumstances to make you into a lookalike of his son. Jesus told you not to be, he told you not to be unequally yoked when you're marrying somebody. He is not going to provide a bride for his son who is unequal to his son, unequally yoked. He is going to turn you into someone just like Jesus. That's his local plan. I just, I just want to make it to heaven, and yet you'll get to heaven. He's trying to get heaven into you now. He's trying to make you a, a bride. Listen, he, another picture is a, is a picture of um, a body. Okay, Jesus is the head, we're the body. He's not going to have this giant head with this little body out of proportion. He's going to make a body that's in proportion to its head. Is going to fill the earth with lookalikes of his son. That's his plan. We're, we're, we're just forgiven. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Okay. Can we get past forgiveness? That's like stepping into the realm, okay? Guys, the goal isn't to just like not do bad things and make it to heaven. The goal is that you actually look like Jesus. I'm going to show you what Christianity is not like with this little parable. If we could roll the clip of the chimp with the AK-47. Now, the chimp can imitate the soldier, but you will never see a chimp fighting next to a marine, okay? The best a chimp can do is an animal imitation of a human being, and it's, it's funny to watch. So many Christians are trying to imitate Jesus. 
They're trying to live like him, trying to live the Christian life instead of letting Christ live his life through them. And so they, they feel guilty because they're falling short, Christians do. And so week after week, people come all over America and they rededicate their lives. God, I'll try harder next time. I am so sorry. I've, I have not lived for you. I, 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 I. You are trying to live the Christian life. There's only one person who can live the Christian life, and that's Christ. He's the only one who ever did and the only one who ever will. And his plan was to plant himself inside of you. And somehow through your personality, without us all becoming a bunch of robots or Stepford wives, somehow you will become most alive when he is most alive through you. I don't know how it works. He's just a genius at it. I don't know. Galatians 5.22 paints the picture like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay? The fruit of somebody's life is whatever they're spiritually intimate with. It doesn't say, okay, God. A lot of people treat Christianity like a mail-order catalog. I need love. God, give me love. I pray in love, and they begin to bawl and squall. Joy, I need joy. And they begin to pray these things in rather than recognizing you don't get joy, you don't get love, you don't get peace. You get Jesus himself living on the inside of you, and he has all of those things. Those things are a present tense reality, and the Bible is begging you page after page to believe what it says rather than waiting for a fleeting feeling, then you'll believe. Charismatics are addicted to feelings the way a drug addict is addicted to crack. I'm not feeling God's presence. He must be mad at me, so I'll go back to the law and try to please him through my efforts to get him to come back to me. I'm telling the truth here, gang. I'm trying to get you free. I'm not trying to be mean. The new covenant does not work that way. We do not receive a series of things, love, joy, peace. We receive Jesus himself. I do not need to seek more things. I need to re realize who is within me and learn how to access that power, which is the second half of the message. So, well, here we are, the second half of the message. Wow. <laughs> how do we get here so quick? Listen, it's one thing to have money in your bank account. It's another thing to have cash in your hand. It's one thing to have all the promises of Christ that are available to us in some spiritual realm, and it's another thing to have them in our experience living and working power in our lives to actually have these things happen. So I want you to get this phrase in, uh, in your heart here. And this is how we make withdrawals. And um, I'm going I'm to explain it here, but acting as if it were so. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. Oh, I'm really grumpy, but I'm going to pretend I've got joy, and I'm going to say I've got joy, and if I say it enough times, maybe it'll become a reality. No, 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 no. You're recognizing that there has been a reality where Jesus himself has come and lived on the inside of you. And because of that, I can begin to step into things, and when I act, he will act with me. It's called faith. It's, a, it's a really actually a pretty good definition of faith is to act as if it were so. Okay? By the way, welcome. Good to see the Rue baby here, Jenny and uh, Rob Rue, little baby. Uh, what's he, four weeks old now? Four weeks old. John Luke, that's two of the four Gospels. This kid's going to be amazing. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no Matthew and Mark, right? You guys are done. All right. Acting as if. Um, unbelief holds a committee meeting to see how its feelings feel about this situation. 
Well, I don't know. Well, let me get some advice from this friend. And, and well, well, what's, well, what's happened in the past with this thing? And they begin to use logic and reason to see about this situation and see how it begins to feel about it. Faith puts on a whole different set of lens and says, hold on, I used to live that way and my feelings and my, I mean, the Bible calls it futile thinking, darkened understanding. You, you're just giving it your best shot, okay? And uh, the Bible's like, you, you're now living like a canary. There's a whole different reality. There's a whole different spiritual lens that you get to put on. You get to see things from heaven's perspective because you've now been united. You don't have to live that way any longer. Best effort, human strength, best thoughts, pop psychology, trying. You know, that's not how we live anymore. That's, we, we, we can now access a completely different kind of power. Abraham, guys, there's just going to have to be a time where you rest in the fact that God is speaking to you He's telling you things, and you can trust it and begin to step into it. Let me just tell you this. Here's the only way you're going to grow in it, is you begin to worship God when no one's looking. And there is, there's a great things about getting teaching and corporate worship. Man, those can prime the pump, but they need to prime the pump for a lifestyle when nobody's looking, and you're renewing your mind, and you're going to put some things into practice that we're going to talk about here in a second. Like, this is how the Christian walk, walk, this is how the Christian walk is lived. And you can't get it some steroid shot to steroid shot, Sunday to Sunday. There has to be a time where you renew your mind. There's going to be a situation that's going to come, and it's going to trigger some negative emotions. And you're going to have to learn to act as if, and you will see the power of God come into your situation. It's going to give you confidence. And now you don't just hear about him. You know for yourself that he really does bring joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. He really does bring wisdom in impossible situations. Not as a theory. Listen. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It doesn't say he's just going to tell you the truth. Fact number one, I will bring you peace. I am the God of peace. Okay, I've got that one. Fact number two, he doesn't just come and tell you truth. What he's going to do is going to lead you into truth. So you know what that means? He's going to lead you into the exact opposite circumstance of the very character quality of himself he wants to reveal. So you know how you're going to learn peace? He's going to put you in some circumstances where it ain't peaceful. Thank you, Jim. I received that word. <laughs> Bring these difficulties into my life, Father. Right? How are you going to learn about God as provider? He's going to put you in some circumstances where you're outside of your own limitations. You, you don't have answers to these things, and you get to see him come and say, wow, there really is a God in heaven. Not just in theory, right? I wish there was a better way, believe me. I, I like, I've spent most of my life trying to avoid pain and sweat and exercise and all those things. So Abraham, he hears a voice from God. He says, get up and uh, go to a country that I'll show you here in a little bit. What did Abraham do? He acted as if it were so. He actually packed up and acted on that voice as if it really happened. Because it did really happen. Uh, can anyone tell me who these guys are? Ready? Uh, Shemua, Shaphat, Igal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sethor, Nabai, and Jewel. You guys know those who those guys are? Those are the ten spies that nobody cares about. History doesn't celebrate people who don't take God seriously. History celebrates the Joshua and the Caleb. The two spies, same circumstances, one was acting outside of covenant. Oh, let's listen to the words of these guys. So here's the, here's the deal. Israel, they, uh, they're delivered from slavery, Red Sea, 
40 years in the wilderness. Now they're on the very edge of the promised land. They're getting ready to enter in. And Moses, the leader of the Israelites at that time, he said, hey, I want to send out some spies into the land, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Sends out 12 guys and says, go and tell me what you see. And so here's the, here's the 10, 10 spies speaking. Numbers chapter 13, verse 28. Yes, Jim is reading from the Old Testament. Boom! <clears throat> but the people living there were powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread the bad report through the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes and lives there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. It's interesting, this grasshopper thinking. If you remember what um, Elijah's diet consisted of, grasshoppers. Do you remember when uh, John the Baptist came on the scene, one of the, the last of the Old Testament prophets? What did he eat? Grasshoppers. Lo locust grasshoppers, that's the same word in the, in the original language there. I think it's such an awesome prophetic picture of what the prophetic ministry does to grasshopper-type thinking. It just eats it. When you receive a prophetic word, it takes you from grasshoppers to seeing through the lens of God. You're going to see what Caleb's response here is here in a second. He says, um, those giants will become our bread. When you're living from prophetic insight, giants become the breakfast of champions. Come on, I'm about to start preaching here if you're not careful. <laughs> Numbers 4. Oh, I heard that. I heard that, Cherie. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Uh, hello, slavery. <clears throat> it was so much better in the concentration camp. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Don't act like we've never had these thoughts. We've all had these same thoughts. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Ten spies, and now the people were not practicing the presence of God. They were practicing the presence of the Canaanites. <clears throat> you know what practicing the presence of the Canaanites is called today? Worrying. Well, I, just, I don't know how we're going to do this thing. I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. But I've, I've got no solution. There's giants in the land. I should let's just go back. I mean, when people come and complain to me, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm really gracious. I, I fake it on my face like I'm having concern. <clears throat> what I want to just say is, you know what? You're right. Let's just curse God and die. This whole thing's a joke. Oh, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. What do you think you're doing when you're worrying is you're acting as if there is no God. Let's just go back to someone. <laughs> acting as if. That panic-stricken conversation basically said, God's not with us anymore. Okay? This acting as if it involves how we think about a situation. It involves how you talk about the situation to close friends. It involves where we go in our imagination with it. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. 
Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, they tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. Okay, same people, same circumstances. One had on a covenant lens. They're looking at it through the eyes of God with them, okay? It is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. Another translation says, those giants will become our bread. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What were they doing? They were acting as if they had a covenant with God. They were acting as if there is a God in Israel who told them to go do it, and so he's going to perform it. Hebrews 4 says the response of the ten spies, he talks about mixing it with faith. Listen to this, Hebrews 4, 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, speaking of the Israelites going in the promised land. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Joshua and Caleb saw this impossible task, but they mixed it with faith. Here's what it means to mix it with faith. To act as if God were in the situation. That was the difference. <clears throat> the other people, they, they saw the same thing, but they did not have on the covenant lens. They did not have on this lens of God. So here's the, the new, new Testament verbiage for acting as if. You ready? Put off the old man, put on the new. Okay? Stop acting as if there is no God. I've got to come up with this in my situation. Um, all, all these negative thoughts and emotions. And put on this new way of looking at things. Today we might translate it, see this situation from the new perspective of being, of being united with Christ. Okay, Act as if it were so. Look at this thing from that perspective of God and act in the strength of who he said he would be for you in that situation, and he will come and be that for you in that situation. Ever seen photos of someone who's like lost a whole bunch of weight and then they put on their old clothes, they're like, look at me, and like, you know, the pants are huge and stuff like that, Okay. You have an old set of clothes that don't fit you anymore. It's called the flesh. It's called worrying, striving, trying to do things on my own strength, trying to get God's attention, and trying, trying. I've got to try harder. That's the message of the old covenant is you're not doing enough. You've got to feel it. You've got to this and that, okay? Those clothes don't fit anymore, okay? That's living as if there's no God. Now he's saying another um, uh, verse, he says, put on Christ, Okay, And so now I'm putting on these new clothes that they fit me perfectly, and it looks just like him in this situation. Whoever God is, he is to you in this moment. <clears throat> One time when I, our family, when my... Uh, Mom and dad are here, by the way. Yay, mom and dad. Figure Every time they come, it's just one step closer to them moving. I decree and I declare. <laughs> moving here. And so... I don't know if you remember, we were out on, we did a vacation on the houseboat in Tennessee, and uh, a power line had broken in the water, and my sister and I were out on a raft, and um, dad had put his hands in the water and felt the, the electricity very strongly, and so he called, and it, uh, it turned out there was an electrical line that broke, and so he w- called out to my sister and I, don't put your hands in the water, and like threw us something, and uh, I guess, and so, you know, pulled us in, and I guess if we would have been t- towards the back of the boat, and we would have put our hands in the water. We actually would have been dead. The electricity was a lot stronger back then. So here's what, here's what faith looks like. I heard the word of my father. Hey, gang, don't put your hands in the water. Reach out to this rope, and I'll pull you in. 
and we acted as if what he said were true. That's faith. You heard it? That makes sense. Let's do that. Well, I don't know, Dad. We're having a good time out here, and I don't see any electricity. That's those old clothes. Trying to figure out in your own human understanding, now, how is this going to work? This doesn't seem wise. And Bobby Connor, uh, the Lord told him, start telling pastors to begin planning as if the money were there. And Bobby said, God, that sounds irresponsible. And God said, what's irresponsible is for my children to not do what I tell them to do. Well, how is this supposed to work? How is this old clothes? Put those off and put on these new clothes. Seeing things from Christ's perspective. This is good news. Who, that Bobby told it to? Yeah, he told me that, yeah. I used to work in a psychiatric ward when I was in seminary. And um, one, of the, one of the incidents that we had happened there, and there was a guy who was the son of a satanic high priest. He was an interesting character. Just lots of personality in this guy, lots of personality. And so he was just a little guy, and uh, he would have this demonic strength that would come over him. And so when we would come on to a new shift, the nurse would come and give a report of the last shift of everything that had happened. And so we heard these stories. And uh, apparently the shift before that, he had gone into like a, some kind of demonic rage and was picking up the coworkers and throwing them across the room. Not like picking up pillows, picking up human beings, little guy, picking up, throwing them across the room. So this had my attention instantly. And so he was just a different cat. His eyes were black, and he's like snarling and like long nails and just kind of unkept and crazy looking. And so, um, the, uh, so there's this ruckus going on in the room, and they're like, Baker, go check it out. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and I'm picturing like something like between the exorcist and like the, you know, the ending of the, uh, you know, the Waiters of the Lost Ark where people's faces melted off, you know. And so, <clears throat> so I'm walking down there, and... Uh, I stand in the doorway, and he's picking up furniture and throwing it, and he, like, turns and snarls at me, and I'm like, um, hey, you need to stop that, and uh, all this stuff, and um, all of a sudden, he gets this look of fear, comes over his face, I'm thinking, yeah, uh, I think he just realized who he's dealing with here in the spirit, and um, I turn around and look, and uh, Big Rick was behind me. Big Rick was uh, 6'8", 320 pounds. He played football for the local college and was an enormous man. His love language was physical contact with other people. <laughs> and once I realized Big Rick was there, it completely affected my emotions. I went from fear to making statements like, because the guy instantly settled down, yeah, you better settle down. That's what I thought. I'm not making these statements out of my mouth. Why? Because I realized that Big Rick was with me. And I had a whole new level of confidence. Guess what? You've got Big Rick with you. Like, Big Rick. Like, Rick is Greek for Jesus. Now, imagine if you began to live in the reality that he was with you. What would that do to your thoughts? What would that do to your confidence level? What would it do to the way that you spoke about situations? That's good. That's as good as it's going to get today, all right? So I hope you enjoyed that. David, uh, we, we see the shadows of it in the Old Covenant. Uh, the Psalms he wrote were filled with expressions like this. The Lord is my light and salvation. Another way to act as if is to say the Lord is. Because whoever he is, he is to you fully in that moment. The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is my shield and my fortress. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. 
What's David doing? He's expressing the union that he had with God because of the covenant. And he's not saying, Lord, give me light. Okay, he's not trying to get a pipeline from heaven to pull something into his situation. He's saying, the Lord is this already, and I'm stepping into this reality as I walk into the situation. God, I'm not asking you from joy. Perfect joy lives on the inside of me. I'm going to act as if. I'm not talking about fake it and ha, 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 and, and try to laugh. I'm talking about entering into a spiritual reality by faith that comes into your experience when you act as if. The Lord is my strength. Some people, they panic when they aren't feeling God, and they usually turn to the law to try to get him to show up. They start fasting and praying and going to church more and giving more generously because they believe if they do these things, God will somehow, through that pipeline, come to them. There's nothing more than the law will do than bring you despair. When you begin to do all these things, you're putting on those old clothes that don't fit anymore. You don't have to do anything to please God or get his attention. You have on these new clothes, and it looks a lot like Jesus. You have God's attention, and you're pleasing to him because you're united to his son. And he's not treating you based on your behavior. He's treating you based on his son's behavior. Some Christians live their lives like rechargeable batteries. They need to go to the Holy Spirit garage and get charged up and get another jolt, and they go, and then they run down, and they need to come and get another jolt of it. Instead, they need to live more like just a plug plugged into an outlet. Man, when you, when you unplug from that source, there's no life there. But as long as you're plugged into it, the source of that electricity flows and begins to express its life through you. Listen, you were created for love. Okay? You were created to receive God's love and manifest that love. You will never be more fully alive, more happy when you're manifesting the divine love of God to people who don't deserve it. I'm not talking about your family and stuff like that. It's easy to love like your family and, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's where some people need it the most. Letting Christ live his life through us becomes the essence of Christianity. You're not hanging on and trying and clinging. The fruit of the Spirit, love is not your responsibility. You can't produce it. You can't kick at the sticks together and make a fire happen. And, no, no, no. We surrender to the fact that he lives in us and we act as if it were so. I found this picture online. Uh, if you could put up that first picture. It's a picture of a man clinging to a great rock. And uh, the caption is, Jesus, Rock of Ages. Okay? Um, that is a perversion of the gospel right there. That we are somehow, it's up to us to hold on, and if we don't hold on, then we will slip into the sea of abyss. Okay, that's a perversion of the gospel. Um, if we can go to the second picture there. Oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> Whoa, I'm sorry about that. That is, um, that's me and my three boys on vacation a couple years ago. I apologize. Um, Mary caught us in kind of an off moment. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, next picture, please. Next picture. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's me last summer um, with a tan. I, humiliating. Uh, next picture. Next picture here, please. This is more of a picture. Rather than you clinging to the rock and your own efforts, afraid to slip in, and if I, if I, don't, let, if I don't hang on, if just for one moment, I... Okay, here's more of the picture of it. You're resting on top of a mountain. That's more of the picture of Christianity. I'm rest, guys, you, it is not up to your human efforts whether or not you're going to make it. 
okay? You are in covenant with God. And if you'll begin to rest in his efforts, rest in the fact that he has come and live on the inside of you, you're going to make it. You understand that? It's not up to your best efforts. He sealed it with his blood, and he says, I'm going to make you into a lookalike of my son. That's his plan. It's not often you get to see nipples on a Sunday morning there. I apologize for that picture. That was... I'm not sure how that got in there. Whatever God has declared himself to be, you take it for your own. The Lord is the defense of my life. He is my rock, my fortress, my healer, my deliverer, my provider, my stronghold, my shield. And you make it personal. If you need guidance and wisdom, the Lord is my shepherd. You said if any of us lacks wisdom, I can ask you. So, Father, I'm expecting wisdom in this moment. Sometimes you may have to wait on him and, and get it, but it will come because wisdom lives on the inside of you. You're not waiting for a pipeline from heaven. You're waiting for him to live his life through you. The danger is we can become addicted to the feeling of his presence and rejoice in that instead of his true presence. Imagine a husband who has lost his eyesight and whenever he can't feel his wife near him, doesn't sense her, doesn't, doesn't feel her right next to him, he begins to panic and cry and begin to plot of all the things he's going to do to get her back to him. He fears that any time he can't feel her, she's left and she's going to go be with another man. And that's not a very healthy relationship. Welcome to American Christianity. If I can't see him, if I can't feel him, I'm afraid he's left me. And I've got to do a whole bunch of things to get him to come back to me. It's a perversion of the gospel. Charismatics, you've got to stop being addicted to your feelings of his presence and start believing the truth where he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Your feelings will come into alignment with truth when you believe truth. Here's the whole thing of Christianity. God's like this. Just believe me. Oh, hold on, hold on. There's got to be more. No, there's not. Just believe him. Listen, when you're reading the Bible, you're not reading a list of a whole bunch of new rules you now have to keep. He's now showing you what you are now able to do because Christ lives on the inside of you. I'm winding it down. Don't mistake hunger to know him more for a desperation to have a feeling. When a problem comes, you simply recognize your weakness and your inability to handle it and you rejoice in the fact that there is someone living on the inside of you who will give you strength and perfect wisdom for that situation. So whenever you have fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, unbelief, all, all these things coming at you, that's simply a trigger for you to go, oh, <laughs> those are old clothes that I'm trying to do this in. I need to go and put on some different clothes that fit just like Jesus. Lord, I just thank you. I don't know what to do in this situation, but you do. So I'm expecting wisdom. I'm stepping into peace. I remember um, before I had a real major breakthrough in, in fear of public speaking, <clears throat> I used to do this thing where I would say, God, I know you're going to meet me up there. I'm going to step into it. And as soon as I step into it, I knew that peace and confidence would come. I, I eventually got delivered, so I didn't even have to do that anymore. But there was something about, yeah, God, I'm going to meet you up there, and there's going to be this point of faith. I'm going to step into it. I'm not saying we've got to be like these robots who never have a feeling, okay? I'm saying that when you believe truth, 
then you'll receive a peace that passes understanding. Then you'll receive a joy that's unspeakable. Okay? And even when the circumstances are the opposite. I'm going to close with this verse and then a story. Galatians 2.20 from the Distilled Bible. I consider myself as having died, and now I am enjoying a second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. Let me read it again. I consider myself as having died, and now I am enjoying a second existence as a canary, as a new species that's never existed before, which is simply Jesus using my body. Here's an illustration. I like to use it at least every other year. It's probably my favorite illustration ever in the whole world. It's from Malcolm Smith. Let's say I want to learn the game of tennis. I go to Barnes & Noble and buy all the books I can, that can explain the game, the rules, showing me how the game is played. For days, I pore over the books, memorizing the rules and strategies. I stand awkwardly in my living room and hold my arms in the position shown in the pictures. I'm now convinced that I'm ready to play. So I buy my matching tennis outfit and sweatbands, a tennis racket, some tennis balls, and I head for the tennis courts. <clears throat> I quickly discover that in spite of all the hours I have spent studying the game, when it comes to playing tennis, I stink. My muscles refuse to cooperate. The balls are flying everywhere except the place I actually want them to go. Having made a total fool of myself, I slink off the court and return to my books. But every time I try to play again, it seems to get worse. In fact, the harder I try, the more tense I am and the worse my game gets. So I study the games of past tennis players. I even go to Bethel, I mean Wimbledon, to watch the world champions play. When I come home, it's obvious that I still do not know how to play tennis. So I hire a coach who is a world champion. I listen to him and I marvel at his ability. But when I try to imitate and do what he does, something inside of me refuses to cooperate. I've been trying to learn by the rules and regulations, taking instructions from books and people, and give it my best effort and rededicated my efforts and commitment to put it all into practice. Now use your imagination here. <clears throat> Let's suppose I could invite the coach to actually step inside of me, into my mind, my nerves, my muscles. He would be within me so he could think his thoughts in my head and let his muscles be my muscles. His memory of all his winning plays would be part of my memory and yet never take away my personality and freedom of choice. I would be me and he would be himself, yet we would operate as one person. My part would be to give up trying to play tennis and admit my helplessness. I would have to understand that if I insisted on trying to play, then the champion within me would let me return to my bumbling and making a fool of myself. The two of us could not play at the same time. Standing on the court, freely admitting that I can't play, I choose to hand over to him. I present my body to him as an instrument for tennis playing. He plays, but I am choosing to let him, and I begin to win all the games. My coach did not teach me to play the game. If questioned, I would have to say, the coach is my game. <clears throat> I now find myself doing everything the books had told me to do, everything the rules had demanded and my coach had ever taught me, but I'm not doing it in my own ability, but resting in my coach, who is the books and the rules wrapped up in a person. So Christ Jesus, by his spirit, lives within us. We present our bodies to him. We rest in him when we choose to let him play the game of life in us and as us. It is one leap of faith that declares he is our life, and later, a million choices of faith as every challenge is presented. That is amazing. Every situation you find yourself in is a trigger for you to step out of those old clothes and to begin to put on a new one, 
and to begin to let the coach live his life through you, recognizing your weakness and his complete competence in that situation. You begin to act as if it were so. You begin to yield to him. You begin to move with him. And you begin to have all your tennis games won. I no longer live, but it's Christ expressing his life through me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think so many Christians were waiting for the big bang zap that's going to come and finally change us. Instead, all he's doing is asking you to believe what he's saying. You have been united with him. Christ himself has come and living on the inside, and everything that is true of Christ is now true of you. And we may start off as little infants in this thing. We're learning how to walk. We're learning how to talk. Just because we're good at it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a look like of his son one day. One thing I know about Jesus, he loves to speed things up. He can bring an acceleration to the growth process. We're not trying to get God to do something. We're confidently making a withdrawal from an account that he's already filled and put your name on. So I'm going to close with this prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, just close your eyes and let me just, just read this over you. This is from the Passion Translation, beginning of verse 17. And I pray that he would pour out over you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with this divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. Do you hear that? By constantly using your faith, by constantly acting as if it were so, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life, providing you with a secure foundation that grows and grows. Verse 18. Then as your spiritual strength increases, you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement, beyond academic knowledge. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ, and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen. If you could stand for closing prayer. Oh, hold on. Mary, Mary's got something. I actually have three things. <laughs> one, um, just, you know, as Jim was just reading about God's love, <clears throat> I want to tell you one quick thing. Uh, I was just in kids' worship, and we always have him share, you know, what did Jesus tell you? And um, Gideon, I don't know if Miriam's in here. Gideon, oh my gosh, that little boy, he's just so special. So he, he, what he saw was um, he saw God backing up a huge dump truck, and it was full of God's love, and it backed up and dumped right on, onto him, and he said, God's love just dumped all over me. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to share that just so you guys remember that picture, that when you're stepping out, that God has this huge dump truck, and he just wants to dump his love right on you. Um, second thing is, is I don't know if you guys can see this uh, cave. Can you guys see that? Is this stand too high? Um, 
I just can't get away from that cave. I even before she even finished it this morning, she was standing back, and I I just really felt like God's calling people out of the cave. Um, and a few of you maybe He's calling into the cave, but I think sometimes we always feel like, oh, we got to, we need to be in the cave. We need to be in the cave with with Jesus, you know, because that's the intimacy, and that's. But what if Jesus left the cave and you're still there? What if He wants you to to take this message? and go outside the cave and walk on faith because he's outside the cave. And so I just want you to just take a, take a look at that painting again and just check in with Jesus for a minute. And just, let, just picture yourself like with Jesus and find out where he is. Yeah, and over the past couple of weeks, we've been saying yes. Just let this be a new yes today. Just close your eyes. Jesus, we just say a fresh yes to wherever you are. Show us where you are. That's where we want to be. You know, Bethany was singing that song, Come Away With Me, this morning. Come Away With Me doesn't always have to be in a cave. Sometimes it's outside the cave. So we say a fresh yes. Amen? Okay, last thing. (laughs) Um, Rob, can you just come up here really quick? Um, so those of you guys who do not know Rob Rue, just turn around so they can look at you. <laughs> there is that handsome. He's dog. so handsome. Look, he matched Jim today. What yes, a guy. <laughs> Looks better on him. <laughs> uh, for those of you guys who don't know, he's going to be running for mayor. No. City commissioner. City commissioner. Mayor's next time. Mayor's next time. City commissioner in Springfield. Is that awesome? That's a leap of faith right there. But, but Rob's going where Jesus is. And I really felt like, I know this is so weird to say, but, and this will probably totally embarrass you, but I really feel like there's a few of you here that are supposed to give him money. Okay? So. Rob's not embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob, Rob's just, yes, Jesus. I will go. It's called the so, gift of receiving. So Rob's going to be, you know, on the front row here. Um, if, if that, if you guys just kind of, something left in your heart, like, man, I, I just really feel like I'm supposed to sew into what he's doing. I just want you to come and shower him after service, okay? Amen. Awesome. That's all. Well, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we bless Rob and Jen in, uh, in this campaign. Lord, just thank you for courage. And Lord, for other people, for the entrepreneurs who are starting businesses and already have businesses and Lord, we just thank you for the courage uh, of this group of believers who are taking you seriously. And Lord, uh, we, we just want to go to another level with you. Just put your hand in your heart. God, I want to go to another level of believing you, of seeing the reality of these things, of acting as if it were so. I think so many of you feel like the only way that you are connected to God is through your thoughts. And when you're thinking about him, then you're connected. That's a lie. You're connected to him through the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can ever do to unconnect yourself from him. Now, when you think of him, yeah, those things become into your experience, but don't think that he's left you just because you're not feeling him because you're not thinking of him. You're, you're sunbathing on top of the mountain. All, all the sweat was done by him, our parts to believe. So, Lord, give us those new lenses. Give us those new lenses to see that we've been united with you. Lord, I pray for just a fresh strength and energy to live this thing out in such a freeing, beautiful, powerful way.
In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.